Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? Good to see all of you. Great to be with all of you. For those that are new or visiting, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Arbor. Uh, real quick, just want to share this important announcement right at the very front of this message. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and because of that, I am, I am a, a deeply loyal fan of Chicago sports. But I want to say this today. I want to make this announcement, this public declaration. This football season, I'm a Seahawks fan, okay? I am selling the Bears. I'm done for this season. It's over, and you guys beat the Lions last week. So the Seahawks won, though, because of the many people who came to church and didn't go to the game, all right, though? I just want to say that at the, at the very beginning. Love you, Jeff. Um, we are in week three of a four-week series called The Road to Renewal, um, and we are in this series because we are, we are starting a new season as a church. We are, we are going after this thing called renewal in our lives individually, in our church, in our community, and what is renewal? Well, well this is what renewal is. Renewal is the refreshment, the release, and advancement that individuals, groups, churches, and cultures experience when they are realigned with God's presence. And that's what we're longing after. That's what we're going for as a church is renewal. And my hope today is that this message this morning would be encouraging to you, but, but we're actually going to start off with something that could be a little bit difficult. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get those out and turn to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be starting off in chapter 4, right at verse 1. The title of today's message is this, Expect Opposition. Expect Opposition. Here's what I'm hoping we walk away with today. That wherever God leads you, wherever he prompts you, to, when he prompts you to do something meaningful, to make a difference, to do something generous, something that benefits someone else, something that is lasting, unfortunately, when that happens in your life, you can expect opposition. You can count on obstacles. You can count on spiritual resistance to come and try and slow down the renewal that you're going after. You know, we see this pattern throughout the scriptures. Adam and Eve posted up in the garden. God's commissioned them to do a renewing work and spread the, the culture of that garden to the world. But who did they encounter? That sneaky little serpent, right? And, and, and he opposes their work. He provides opposition. We see it in the life of Moses. Moses had Pharaoh initially, and then he had a whole group of complaining people that he had to lead through the desert for multiple decades before arriving to the promised land. We see it in the life of David. David had Saul. David had other enemies. He had himself, his own worst enemy. You fast forward to the New Testament, we see the life of Jesus. Jesus had Herod, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, Judas, Satan himself, all the demons, the whole gang. Jesus had everyone up against him. We see this pattern time and time again, and we're going to see it in the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has Sanballat and Tobiah and a handful of other fools that were standing in his way of the work that he was trying to do. 
Now, you might just be joining us today and you weren't here for the first couple of weeks, so let me catch you up with the backstory of where we've been so far. Um, Nehemiah was just this ordinary guy. He was a cupbearer, nothing special about him. And he hears this bad news about his people that's taking place nearly a thousand miles away. And at that moment, Nehemiah had the opportunity to let that news not just into his head, but also into his heart. And he did, and he heard this news, and he's like, I've got to do something about this. And what does he do? Well, the first thing that he did was he made space for renewal. And how did Nehemiah make space for renewal? Well, he first, he stopped and he wept. He let the thing that was bad news break his heart, but he didn't stop there. He then sought God. He fell down and he prayed. And then once he was finished praying, he got up and he finally moved and he went to the king with all the bravery and courage he could possibly muster. And he said, hey, I've got to do something about this. Will you send me out? He moved from this position, what we saw last week, from consuming to contending. And how did he do that? Well, again, he sought God persistently. That's a theme that we're going to see throughout Nehemiah. Twelve times we have recorded prayers of Nehemiah going to God. We're going to see it again today. But he sought God persistently. And then when he's finally with the king, he shows that he's defined his vision with precision, that he's made these careful plans. And once um, he shared that with the king, he was blessed by by the king with provision and with protection. And he rallies people together and he ignites passion in his fellow people going out seeking after renewal. Now, now you can read through uh, the book of Nehemiah and see some interesting details. Um, I'd encourage you to take some time and do that. But before he um, uh, builds the wall with the people in chapter three, we're not going to read through it today. But what we see in chapter three is before they start building the walls, they're building the gates. They're building all of these gates, the sheep gate, the fish gate, the valley gate, the horse gate, the water gate, the dung gate. I'm not making these up. They're all in the Bible. You, you can read them for yourselves, the water gate, fish gate, dung gate. I don't know about you guys, but I want to live by the water gate and not the dung gate. Um, just me, my own personal opinion on that. Um, what's really wild, though, is that what Nehemiah was doing in this initial phase of construction was he was inspiring regular, ordinary people. Nehemiah didn't have like a contractor and and, and construction workers and and these carpenters alongside of him. All Nehemiah had were what it says, uh, goldsmiths, merchants, and perfume makers. I don't know how you get a perfume maker to build a wall, but Nehemiah did it. It was incredible. And they start to make progress. What's amazing is throughout chapter three and into chapter four, what we're gonna see is this ragtag group of people who had no expertise, no experience. They go in and they start building this wall, building the gates for the first time in over a hundred years. They start to see these things, this, this, this uh, season of renewal starts to like show up and they look and they're like, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do this. Like it's finally going down. But note this, that whenever the work goes down, opposition shows up. Whenever the work goes down, opposition shows up. Again, the moment you begin to do something in your life that glorifies God, you can set your calendar, you can put a reminder on your phone to expect opposition. To expect opposition. And again, we see this in Nehemiah chapter four, um, that in the face of the renewing work that God is doing through Nehemiah, we see opposition rise up. So look at chapter four, verse one. It says this. Now when Sanballat heard 
that we were rebuilding the wall. Remember, he's the bad guy in the story. He became angry and was quite upset. And so what does he do? Well, he derided the Jews and in the presence of his colleagues in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Now, one thing that might be lost on us a little bit is this Hebrew word for feeble is this word amalal. And it's, this is the only time it's used in all of the Hebrew scriptures is this, verb, this word amalal, which actually means like a flower that's been cut off, like a beautiful flower that is now dead. And so what Sanballat is trying to say is like, you guys are lifeless, you're hopeless. What you thought you once were, you no longer are. You don't stand a chance. And then he says this in verse two, will they be left to themselves Will they again offer sacrifice? Will they finish this in a day? Can they bring these burnt stones to life again from piles of dust? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was close by, said, if even a fox were to climb up on what they are building, it would break down their wall of stones. Now, real quick here, Tobiah. My vision of Tobiah in this story right now is he feels like the kind of annoying younger brother to Sanballat. Like he hears like the alpha dog Sanballat like going after the, the builders of the wall and he's like, I'm gonna get in on this too. I'm gonna say something really cool. And what does he come up with? He's like, well, you know what? If like a fox went up on that wall, it would probably break. <laughs> I just like imagine Sanballat in that moment being like, oh my gosh, Tobiah, just shut up shut up. What we see here, though, is that when the work goes down, opposition shows up. When the work goes down, opposition shows up. And I know this is true for so many of us in this room. Like, who knows, perhaps in, this last few, uh, in these last few weeks, you've been moved in your life to uh, do something different, to seek after renewal, to, to pray more, to go after what God would have for you in your life individually or in your family or, or in this church or in your workplace or, or in our broader community. And, and as you begin to make steps that direction, uh, you, you start to sense this uh, opposition. You, you feel this opposition in your life. Maybe you made a commitment recently to start coming to church more regularly, but for the past few weeks as you've been trying to do that, it's like, man, my family and I, we can't not get in a fight on the way to church. And every Sunday morning, we're like cussing at each other the whole way to worship to the house of God. That's the opposition you're facing. Maybe you've decided to step out and serve at Arbor Kids and, you know, it's like kind of an uncomfortable space and the first time you're there, it's like every single kid is sick and now my entire family's sick and you're encountering this opposition. Maybe God's laid something on your heart, something that you're like, man, I'm excited about this. This is new and I'm kind of nervous about this and so you decided to share it with a friend and the first words out of your friend's mouth were like, really? Who do you think you are? You really think that's going to work? I don't think that's going to work. Listen, don't be surprised that when the work goes down, opposition shows up. Let me tell you a little story. There's a, a guy um, 90 years ago by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You ever heard of this guy before? Anyone? Yeah, a lot of you. Okay, yeah, he's kind of a thing, right? Um, he was not raised in a very religious home. He didn't grow up going to church. And while he was studying philosophy at, at, at college, um, he was moved to follow Jesus. And not only was he moved to follow Jesus, he, he, he was moved to seek renewal in the church in Germany at that time. 
And at that exact same time, um, the, the, the Nazis were rising up in Germany. And so in response to the rising power and control that the Nazis were exerting over the congregations and churches in Germany, which at the time had a majority support, the Nazis had a majority support from German Protestants during this time. During this season, Bonhoeffer left his prestigious post at this German academic university, and what he did instead was he founded this secret seminary called Finkenwald. Um, could be a good church name one day, I don't know. Called Finkenwald to train pastors to resist this evil, racist, authoritarian government. However, many of his friends thought he was, he was being reckless. He was being crazy. And so one of his friends thought he was being so crazy that he traveled out to this secret seminary, which was actually in rural Poland, and he went to Dietrich and he said, you've got to stop. He's like, this is very dangerous. You have no idea what you're getting into. And so after he heard his friend, Dietrich Bonhoeffer brought him up on top of this ridge and, 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 and he pointed out and he said, listen, this pointing over to the seminary on this side of the ridge needs to be greater than this. And over in the distance was a Nazi training camp. And he, and he said to his friend, this needs to be greater than this. And he didn't listen to his friend. He didn't take that advice. He continued on working on what he was doing. And then he said this. He said, the renewal of the church will come from a new type of monasticism, which has only in common with the old an uncompromising allegiance to the Sermon on the Mount. It is high time men and women banded together to do this. So Bonhoeffer, he, he had this vision of what renewal looked like and he went after it no matter the cost. And what ended up happening is he, Bonhoeffer never left the work that God had called him to do. But he was eventually taken by the Gestapo and martyred and killed for his work. Uh, while he might have died, his life and his work resonate to this day because he was seeking renewal in his time. So again, don't be surprised when you face opposition. I, I know that God is calling some of you in this room this morning to step up and actively pursue that in your life, in our church, in our community. But listen, the moment you do, you will face opposition. It is coming. Expect it. And so what do we do? How do we respond in the face of opposition? Well, let's look and see how Nehemiah responded. Look at uh, verse four. Nehemiah says this. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Return their reproach on their head. Reduce them to plunder in a land of exile. Do not cover their iniquity and do not wipe out their sin from your sight for they have bitterly offended the builders. I think Nehemiah could have learned a little bit from Jesus on how to pray, but that's just what Nehemiah's got, okay? And sometimes that's all we got, right? Like, do not wipe out their sin from your sight. Um, it's intense, but, but he prays that and then he writes this. He says, so we rebuilt the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. The people were enthusiastic in the work. And so how do we respond? It's what? It's feeding back. All right. Did you guys notice that? I didn't notice anything. Check. Can you hear me now? Okay, cool. All right. Um, where were we? Here we go. 
how do you respond to opposition? Here we go. The first thing. There's a couple things I want us to see this morning. Here's the first thing I want us to see. When opposition shows up, listen, go to God and get back to work with others. When opposition shows up, go to God and get back to work with others. Um, This is what Nehemiah does. The first thing that he does is something, again, that we see Nehemiah do frequently. He goes to God. He prays. He cries out. He seeks God in the midst of his work, in the midst of the opposition. It's important to note what Nehemiah does not do here in this moment. And what Nehemiah does not do here in this moment is he doesn't respond to his critics. He doesn't respond to his critics. He doesn't fire back with any insults. He doesn't try to prove himself. He doesn't try to reason with them in this moment. And listen, most of the time, the first thing that many of us need to do is we need to shut our mouths and understand that your response to the opposition isn't going to change the opinion of your critics. It's not going to. Oftentimes, the only thing a response does is it validates the opposition. It gives them power. And sometimes it's best, sometimes it's best to lovingly ignore those critics and keep on seeking renewal. Keep on going after the thing that God has put in front of you. This is what Nehemiah does. He doesn't respond to the opposition, but again, instead he goes to God. He humbles himself before God. He expresses his frustration and then he gets back to work. Verse six, look at it again. So we, we rebuilt the wall And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. The people were enthusiastic in their work. He gets back to work. But what's important to note here is how he writes this. He says, we rebuilt the wall. Not I rebuilt the wall. We rebuilt the wall. Me and all of those working together. And so what we see, ignore the critics, go to God, and get back to work with others. I want you to understand this this morning. We can't do this work on our own. We can't do it by ourselves. We need other people to support us and work with us and help us carry the burden of renewal. We need other people. Listen, one of our values here at Arbor is that we would be a people growing spiritually together. That we would be growing spiritually together with one another. We need other people. We we, we need the support of other people as we seek renewal and we seek God's goodness in our lives and in our families. We can't handle the opposition on our own. And so I want to ask you, do you have your people? Do you have people? Do you have a group of people that are going after the same thing you're going after? If you're going after renewal, do you have people around you that are going after the same thing that can provide support and help? People who are enthusiastic about the work so that when you face opposition, they are there to help you and hold you up when you feel like you don't have the strength or energy or enthusiasm to go one step further. This is why groups are so important here at Arbor. It's not just another program or thing that we offer here at the church. Man, groups should be the lifeblood of this church. The relationships and community that we build in smaller groups where we're vulnerable with one another and we share our prayer requests with one another and we're going after the things of the Lord, that should be the lifeblood of our community. Listen, I get that when we have a commitment like groups and that that commitment rolls around on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday night and we're thinking to ourselves, oh, not another thing. I got to go to that again, man. I'm telling you, let me be vulnerable with you. I feel that. 
I'm the pastor of this church and I feel that. But let me tell you what I also feel. That the end of an evening spent with God's people seeking after renewal and going after the things of God. Let me tell you that at the end of the night, I feel 180 degrees different. I am full and I am charged up and I am excited and I'm encouraged. And so a little shameless plug right now. We have a group meeting on Tuesday nights from 6.30 to 8 p.m. It's going to meet in this room. There is no limit to the group. All of you can sign up and all of you can be a part of it. We have childcare. There's no excuses, okay? There might even be some food. I don't know. I'm not fully promising that yet, but there might be food, okay? And it's going to be, it's going to be amazing because this group, what we're doing as a group is we're going after renewal. We're going after something different. We're going after something deeper. We want to see renewal in our lives. And listen, we have an idea of how we're going to get there, but we don't fully know yet. And that's what we're doing as a group is we're seeking after this because I'm just telling you, like, if all there is to this life is just kind of going through the motions and showing up at church once in a while, like, it's just, it's not enough for me personally, and I hope it's not enough for you. And so on Tuesday nights, we've got this group where it's not going to be for everyone, but, but it's going to be for those who are wanting something more, who are hungering for something deeper with Jesus, who are wanting to follow him more closely. Again, Tuesday nights, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Let's get real practical here, arborchurch.com slash groups. It's the, the group called Discipleship. Sign up for it, okay? Um, Dallas Willard wrote this. This has stuck with me for a few years now. He said, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit ourselves to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. Listen to this. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. We intend what is right. We hear a sermon and we're like, I want that, but we do nothing in our lives to make the change to go after that thing. And so this group, along with all of our groups here at Arbor, they're groups that, that we want to commit ourselves to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. That's why we're doing this. It's not going to be easy. We're going to encounter failure. We're, we're, we're going to encounter opposition. But we're going to be going after it together. Together, seeking renewal in our lives. Um, listen, It's absolutely essential that when we encounter opposition, we have others in our corner encouraging us, cheering us on, supporting us. And so when we face opposition, what's the first thing that we do? We go to God and we get back to work with others. That's the first thing we do. Let's jump forward now, verse 10. We're going to see like a total pivot in like the vibe as to what's going on with Nehemiah and his crew. Look at verse 10. Then those in Judah said, the strength of the laborers has failed. The debris is so great that we are unable to rebuild the wall. And so what's going on here? Like literally just the last verse that we read, everything's going great. Verse 4, the people were enthusiastic about the work. And now we've just traveled five verses. We've skipped over like five verses. And verse 10, they're saying, we don't have the strength to do it anymore. The, The rubble is too much. Look at verse 11. Our adversaries also boasted, before they are aware or anticipate anything, we will come in among them and kill them. And we will bring this work to a halt. 
So it happened that the Jews who were living near them came and warned us repeatedly, day after day, night after night, about the schemes they were plotting against us. They were fearing for their lives. They were getting tired. They were getting exhausted. They were discouraged. And so no longer is it just this external opposition that's coming in and crushing Nehemiah and his people, but it's his people now. He's hearing it from the people that he's working side by side. They're like, we don't know that we have the strength to do this anymore. And they're trying to kill us. Again, hear this. Whether it's spiritual opposition, external opposition from our fiercest critics, internal opposition from those who are walking alongside of us, or maybe worst of all, the internal opposition that we face through that fierce internal critic, Regardless of where we face it, listen, we are going to encounter opposition. The road to renewal is not an easy road. If you were here last week, last week we talked about this pervasive culture of consumerism that that, that influences every aspect of our lives. We live, would you agree with me on this, that we live in an instant gratification society? Would you agree with me on that? And this instant gratification society has not just shaped our desires, but it's also shaped um, the the idea that like if we desire it, we should should have it right away uh, without waiting and, and it's not worth it if we have to work for it or wait for it, right? That's the culture. That's the air that we breathe. But, but, but listen, we also just said that renewal is, is a group effort. We need other people. But, but sometimes, you have to hear this, sometimes we can start moving with other people who are excited and they're encouraged because they see the first blossoms of renewal. But listen, they quickly change their tune when they realize that sacrifice and patience are going to be involved in pursuing renewal. And they, and they, they back off. They, they flake out. I quoted this guy last week. His name's Edmund, uh, Edwin Friedman. In his book, A Failure of Nerve, he writes this. Listen to this. A major difficulty in sustaining one's mission is that others who start out with the same enthusiasm will come to lose their nerve. Mutiny and sabotage come not from enemies who oppose the initial idea, but rather from colleagues whose will was sapped by unexpected hardship along the way. And so what do we do when that happens? What do we do when we're going out and we're seeking out something from the Lord and we're seeking renewal in our lives or or we're trying to make a change and we're we're stepping out in faith and and we encounter not just external opposition, but we also encounter opposition from those we're walking alongside and we have this opposition internally. What do we do then? Well, here's what I think we should do. Listen, an opportunity like that... um, is an opportunity to press further into God's presence and it's an opportunity to build perseverance. It's an opportunity to build perseverance. Hear this. Perseverance builds character. Character builds spiritual authority. Spiritual authority uh, builds influence and influence spreads the renewal. I'll say it again. Perseverance builds character. Character builds spiritual authority. Spiritual authority builds influence, and influence spreads the renewal. And so when we encounter opposition, we shouldn't freak out, we shouldn't fret, we shouldn't run away. Many, many months ago, many months ago, we were studying the book of James. Do you remember that? For those of you who are here, 
And how does James say we are to respond when, when opposition, when trials come our way? I'll, I'll read it for you. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, perseverance, and let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. And so listen, opposition is going to rise up when the work starts to go down. Expect it. Expect opposition from the outside, from the inside, from yourself, whether it's from critics, friends, whoever. When that happens, we need to rise above the opposition. Don't look to the left don't look to the right. Keep your eyes fixed on the founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to do. This is exactly what Nehemiah does in verse 14 after he's heard that the people are discouraged and his enemies are trying to kill them. He says this, listen, when I had made an, an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. And here's the important part. Remember the great and awesome Lord. Remember. What does Nehemiah do? He takes the focus off of his critics. He takes the focus off of himself. He takes the focus off of the work. And he puts the focus on God. He puts the focus on God. What do we do when we encounter opposition? We go to God and we get back to work with others. And here's the second thing. When opposition shows up, we remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. We remember that the battle belongs to God. God is for us. God is with us. Our God will never leave us nor forsake us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. This is who our God is. We know that when we walk in and that when we step forward in faith, our God is with us. And that we are called not to focus on our doubts and on our own deficiencies, but we remember we remember this is what Nehemiah is doing here. Nehemiah is remembering He's remembering, man, I prayed for months and months and months and I sought the Lord and I remember when I approached the king and I was terrified and I was afraid and I was scared, but God went before me and, and he granted me favor with the king and that king granted me prote protection and provision. I remember talking to people here in this empire being like, we're gonna travel a thousand miles over to Jerusalem. Who's with me? And I remember the faithful remnant that came with me. I remember when we approached Jerusalem and we saw the disarray and the rubble and we put one foot in front of the other and began to see God go before us and do the work. Remember your great and awesome God. He remembered that the battle belongs to God. Church, when we face opposition, we must remember. We must remember. We must remember who we were before we encountered the Most High God. We, we have to remember the sin and the brokenness and the chaos and, and the hurt that existed in our lives. But we also, listen, we also must remember the forgiveness that we have, the grace that we have, the mercy that we have. Do you remember, listen, do you remember the first time you encountered those things? 
Maybe it was like a summer camp in middle school, like it was for me. Maybe, maybe it was during college and some friend was talking to you about the Lord. Maybe it was super recent. But do you remember in your life when you first encountered the greatness and awesomeness and love and goodness of our Most High God? Do you remember that in your life? That's what we must remember. Because opposition is going to rise up. And God would certainly rather have you be thinking about his power and his goodness rather than your own deficiencies and your doubts about what what God could or couldn't do. Listen, with God, all things are possible. And so we must remember, this is what Jesus did. Jesus remembered this. Jesus, when when he faced the cross, he went into that garden of Gethsemane and he cried out to God, and he said, Lord, if there is any other way, would you, would you make that way happen? But not my will, but your will, God. And the writer of Hebrews then says this, that, that Jesus, with, with the joy set before him, the joy of what his work would ultimately accomplish, with that set before him, he remembered this. He endured the cross. He disregarded its shame. And he is now seated at the right hand of God. Church, church, I remember just a little over a year ago, moving my family across the entire United States to come here to Arbor with, with hopes and dreams of what God might do in our midst. And over the last year, we have encountered opposition in various ways, shapes, and sizes. But let me tell you, God has been faithful to our church, not just preserving what once was, but in rebuilding something new. And and he's working. Listen, when things get hard, and, and trust me, like they will get hard. But when things get difficult, you're going to have to think about something. And again, I, I know that God would rather you think about his power and the ways that he's delivered you in the past and worked in the past rather than think about all the things that could go wrong and your doubts and and, and your own personal deficiencies and whatever it might be. Remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. So right now what I want us to do is I just, I want to create a space for us to remember. Um, I'm going to invite the ushers forward now as we prepare to take communion. And to remember that as, as dark as things might seem to get when you face opposition, there is always light. That regardless of how difficult things might look, victory is not just a possibility. Victory is not just a probability. Victory is guaranteed. Victory is guaranteed because the grave is empty and Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. He's ruling and reigning right now. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. And so as these elements are passed, what I want us to do is I want us to take this next song just to reflect and just to remember. And at the end of this song, we'll stand together and we'll take communion and we'll remember together.